Listener Production. Welcome along to episode 75, part B of the Howie Games, featuring basketball genius Andrew Gaze. Before we get to the Sydney 2000 Olympics, one of these stories I'm happy to tell. One right. is going to hurt me a little bit because we've had this particular man on the show and I didn't mention it to him. We moved to 2004 in the Athens Olympics. Beautiful games. You and me are both Underrated games, happily employed by the Seven Network. I've got a very minor role. You're rookies, the, I'd call us. No, you weren't the rookie. I you, was you, a rookie. You were the main man alongside probably <laughs> Jonah Griggs, uh, Roy and HG with the bloody wombat in Athens it was, and McAvaney, who was the star of the show. <laughs> and still is. Why? I'm not sure. I sat in front of a, a bank of monitors. I got to interview one person, which was Lauren Jackson, after they lost the gold medal game to the Americans. That went well. Lisa Leslie, that went really well. Um, for some unknown reason, you yes. came up to me in 2004 and said, Howie, I think it's going quite well here. Mm. Channel 7 have come up with this idea yes. of a ballroom dancing show. It was quite uh, incredible because I still remember time, and you'll know who the um, the program director of Channel 7, I can't remember his name at the time. The sport? Yeah, no, no, the whole... Oh, no, yeah, it's above me now. Yeah, yeah. It's, we've gone past remember. Andy Kay. Okay, yeah, no, anyway. no, it was, it was well past that. It's like the big... I still remember the time, and we were in the media village, and they gave me the tap on the shoulder, and they said, Gazy, come over here. We, and we wanted to sit down and have a chat. And they said... Because back then, we all know it's a behemoth now, but Channel Hadn't started. 7, hadn't been on. Channel 7 at the time was also probably going through a reasonably challenging phase. As are most of the networks I seem to be at at the time. I'm not sure why well, that is. And I remember they said... Coming to me and said, now we've got this new show. It's going gangbusters overseas. It's 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 going to transform the network. This thing is going to transform the network, and we want you to be a part of it. Front and centre. So straight away, I'm thinking, by jingoes, by crikeys. They must be loving the basketball commentary. I must be just smashing it. So they sit down. I said, I'm all ears. I'm like, I mean, when we talk about the heart rate, palpitations, arousal levels, all those things are getting to fever pitch because I think I'm going to be part of it. I'm going to be a megastar here. Uh, And then they said, now, this is the concept. We're going to get, at the time, eight professional ballroom dancers. We're going to... We're going to match them up with some celeb with um, some celebrities, and they're going to dance on a weekly basis, ballroom style. And here's the kicker: you're going to have some judges there that are going to critique you, but we're also going to allow the nation to critique you, and it'll be a process of elimination. Now, straight, straight away in my head, I'm thinking. Let's pack it up, pack it in. This, this network's cooked. They're, they're cooked. Old mate here has lost his marbles. If he thinks any way, shape or form, this is going to have any sort of appeal. There's no way it's going to work. No way it's going to work. Well, bugger me. Do you remember the conversation when you asked me? Yes, I do. I was asking you. I was saying, mate, are they serious? This is what they've dished up. <laughs> and Howie, as you say, very much in your infancy of your illustrious career, uh, suggesting, well, Gazy, I know I'm part of the uh, the franchise here, but my advice to you is perhaps maybe see how it goes. This stinks, this idea, Gazy. <laughs> this is bad for your brand. This is no good. <laughs> so I very, very politely declined, very politely. What did it rate? 2.8 million or something? Mate, it was the greatest show in the history of... <laughs> Of reality television at the time. It was unbelievable. Um, The the second thing that happened in Athens, I'll I'll let you tell this story. I just explained to the audience, at the end of an Olympics, yes. it's quite a long period to get through. You're working mm. long hours. Everyone's quite tired. The yes. final event that comes along <laughs> is the closing ceremony. Yes. Which, as production staff, Gazy, oh, no. no one has got any interest no. in. No. And it was handballed to me late one night. Oh, by oh, the mate. way, tomorrow night you've got to produce the closing ceremony. Correct. Um, your host will be Bruce McAvaney and you'll have Gazy. Uh, and it. who was it? Was no, it, it was Gazy and... Um, was it Joe Griggs or no, Kylie no, Gillies no. or... Um, uh, <laughs> who was it? Oh, it'll come to me. Okay. It'll come to me. But, okay. Um, now, uh, preparation... As you can see from a man with a microphone held together by an elastic band, probably wasn't my strong point as a young man. So we go into a room, you, me, 
Mac O'Haney. Yeah. A couple person, of big wigs. Yeah, yeah, a couple of sort of uh, high-level operators. Yes. And they give you a book. They do. Which every single page will come out and say, okay, we're here in Athens. The third thing that happened, we'll, yes. we'll have a opera singer from yes. the north of Greece who grew up in a region Correct. where they grow olives in yes. a rather arid environment and her style of singing is from this province. 100%. And that's what it is. Correct. 110 pages yes. of that. Yes. So I was in a bit of a hurry. Yes. I thought I'd move through the things pretty quickly. Correct. What no. happened? Well, it was an interesting one because uh, you. I was actually in the same apartment as Bruce McAvaney. We shared an apartment together, and you got to see this man that never faced, never, never just was smooth on top of things, warm, friendly, workaholic, warm, friendly, and just nothing faced, but prepared. But overly prepared, I might add. <laughs> and as he should be, and that's why he's a genius and we love him yes. the most because how he does it is quite extraordinary. But um, in this particular meeting uh, and, and how he's there, and I'm not saying he glanced over a few of the minor issues, <laughs> but we, w- we were out of time constraints and after a long campaign... I didn't want a bar of producing Did it. not want a bar of it and perhaps... Like I said, glanced over a few of some of the details. 60 or 70 pages. Well, I saw a side <laughs> of the great Bruce McAvaney that still frightens me. I've never seen before ever again. Never seen before. And he, in no uncertain terms, alluded to the fact that you're not the one that's going to be copying the brunt right. of the alleged... Three point whatever million people that are going to be watching. That's right. And that if you are not able to provide us with the information that we require, then he will be the one that will be a victim of this type of circumstances. So it was... um, You know what I remember? Yes. I was quite taken aback and then I looked at you and you were... Yes. With your hand over your oh, mouth, mate. trying to suppress your schoolboy giggles in the corner. Mate, because it was a scolding. But here's the <laughs> it was thing. more than a scolding. No, but here's the thing. Because I was very much on your side. Yes. <laughs> because I'm thinking, mate, a couple of olive oil, you're reading this thing, half is in Greek, and, it's, and I'm thinking... What is this garbage that somehow we've got to make entertaining? And uh, but it was one that I think that um, you were alerted to the fact that perhaps you needed to provide a little bit more attention to what was going on in the closing. I there, Shadow Man, because Bruce is my hero, and you are giggling in the corner oh, mate, I, like a nine-year-old. Well, misery loves company, oh, yes, it and does. I was uh, very much in, in your corner. Hey, five mm. Olympics, mate! It's quite incredible your Olympic career: 84, <laughs> 88, Seoul, ninety-two. Barcelona where the dream team arrived, yes. 96 Atlanta, and then obviously the Sydney Olympics. Um, bronze medalists, bronze medal match in Atlanta after yes. you got beaten by the Yanks in the well, semis. three times of those five, we played off for a medal. Yeah. Uh, Atlanta was probably the best opportunity. We lost to Lithuania, and it was only... After the Yanks beat you in the semis. Yeah, we beat we, we, the Americans. That was just the way the draw went. We had that dramatic win over Croatia where Tony Ronaldson uh. hit the three in the corner. And um, and we were playing Lithuania for a bronze medal. And uh, with a couple of minutes to go, scores are tied or something. And Avita Sabonis, who's the legend, played with Portland in the NBA, mm. uh, he actually knocked down a couple of threes. Now, he's a guy seven foot one, seven foot two. And uh, he, he dropped a couple of threes that cost us. So I think we, only, we ended up losing by four or six, and that was the closest we ever came. How, how, how big were – he didn't play the Americans in Barcelona when it was the full dream team. So that was Jordan. It was. Johnson. The, yeah. How big – because that – that was the most dominant sport at that game. It was. Due and, to the fact the Dream Team was coming together for the first time. Two reasons. One was it was the Dream Team. It was the first time they'd sent their pros. And not only was the pros, it was the creme de la creme. Larry Bird, Charles Barkley, uh, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, wow. uh, David Robinson, Scotty Pippen, uh, Chris Mullen was on the team, so John Stockton. The best of the best. It was unbelievably the greatest ever in my opinion, of those uh, of that team coming together. So there was that fact alone, uh, but the thing that even compounded it more, it was a year out from when Magic Johnson announced that he was HIV positive. 
So there was this whole scrutiny about magic, about should he be playing, shouldn't he be playing. There would have been fear at that point because the people Absolutely. were ignorant as to the situation. Hundred percent. And right, um, right, right. But, but with without question, it was the marquee event mm. of the games, and they annihilated everyone. And it was special to be a part of it and see it. We never got to play them, unfortunately, because they were in a different pool and, and we never crossed over in the quarterfinal and we never made it through to the to the semis. So we um, we missed that opportunity. But just to be there, one of the greatest photos I have is we've got all those legends that were actually on the bench and myself and Shane Heal were behind the bench for the gold medal game and someone had taken a pick and you've got the, 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 the superstars in front of you with me and Hammer behind. And although we were just... In the background, it's still something just to, to be there and to share that experience is something that's special for us. So it was um, it was fun to be a part of. Would have loved the chance to play yeah. against them. But it transformed the Olympics as far as yeah, basketball. And um, everyone thought, well, this that's it. Not in our lifetimes will the American team ever be beaten when they're sending out this level of talent. Well, bugger me, in 2004... Um, they come up short and don't win a gold medal yeah. with a very, very good team. Yeah. And and the opportunity now for international players Ar- to play against Ar- them. Argentina win? Argentina, yep. yeah. Okay. So, so the opportunity to play against uh, international players, the rate at which the rest of the world could catch up became a whole lot quicker. So it was fantastic and, it, it like I said, transformed the Olympics, the basketball at the Olympics and uh, was fa- was fun to be a part of. We played them in 96 yeah. the, in the um, semi-final. Got but to play them Barkley, there. Barkley, O'Neill, Miller, Malone, yep. Pippen. That's a fair outfit. They did. They had Hakeem was in that team, a large one as well. Uh, they, they had a fantastic – oh, they, they always have. Yeah. Even, even the, in um, – uh, 2000 and two, they only just fell over the line in 2000 and ended up losing in 2004. But even in those those teams, everyone goes, "Ah, oh, yeah, it wasn't our best." No one. You go back and look at those teams. LeBron was on the team in 2004. Yeah. They had a very a very young Allen Iverson was there in 2004. They had a, a star started team, but just hadn't understood the international game. Perhaps didn't understand the talent of the international players. And also, it was a big step forward to say, well, uh, a, a um, team of champions won't beat a champion mm. team. And the way in which Argentina in particular played really sent a message to, to um, the United States that unless you can uh, adapt and develop some of the values of, of the team concept, no matter how much talent you're going to have, you, you're going to be in a, for a battle. And and they did. It was a wake-up call for them. Um, they lost again in 2006 at the World Cup. Yeah. Now, it wasn't as good a team, but it was still a very, very good team. Before before we um, move on, because I want to get to the Sydney Olympics, mm-hmm. um, I don't want an explanation. I want a name. Yep. Jordan or LeBron? Uh, Michael Jordan for me. Okay, thank you. Absolutely. All right, Sydney 2000. We've got to this point that your father went to, was it eight? Yeah, well, he's played, he was competing for basketball for seven of them and, and so, he went and, and played so three and one se- of them. Seven or eight Olympics. He, he instills in you a love for the Olympics. Yep. All you want to do is play in the Olympics. Um, I spoke to, very lucky to speak to Kathy Freeman about when she was told by John, John Coates, Coates that she was going to light the, the Olympic cauldron. Yeah. Who told you you were going to carry the flag? At uh, John Coates. Did he? Yeah. Was it a secret as well? It was. It was. An, and I've told this story many, many times, but I love telling it because it, Tell it, it again. brings back a lot of fond memories in that um, when you arrive at the Olympics, the basketball team, we arrived at the village and they usually have a, a the team will do a press conference. So everyone there and, and we went and did a press conference and John Coates was hosting that press conference. There was myself, Mark Bradkey and a couple of other athletes from other sports. I can't remember who else was there. And there was a lot of speculation about who was going to be the captain of the team. And when you're the captain of the team, you are the flag bearer. And uh, during the press conference, they actually asked, Andrew, what do you think of your chances of being the flag bearer? And legitimately and honestly, I said, just happy to be mentioned, but I I doubt very much that's coming my way because I legitimately believe that, playing a sport, team sport, basketball, all those other reasons you think, well... And, and, and during that time, they have all those surveys in the newspapers. Who was going to, you know, the yeah. polls? Were you up? I, I wasn't one of the favourites. Who uh, was up there? There was um, Kathy, uh, Thorpey. Susie O'Neill. Uh, Susie, all. The all, swimmers. All, all, all the those. Swimmers. Which, yeah. that, and we're lucky at this great country is that all of them would have been absolutely worthy. This is your fifth Olympics, though. Fifth Olympics. But, yeah, but they, they'd, I'd never won a medal. 
um, been a part of a team that won a medal. Um, so you're thinking, what is it? But straight after that um, press conference, we walked and, and we were tremendous hosts at the Olympics because we had all the portable housing. Out in Newington in, in uh, Sydney, they all had all these brand new apartment complexes. We gave them to the rest of the world. Mm. We had all this portable housing, this little caravan park <laughs> in the left-hand corner of the <laughs> Olympic Village. It was about a, a K walk back. So I'm with Hoagie and we're walking back and um, we're about halfway through and there's this little mound and John Coach was there talking and you could see us walking by and he called me and Hoagues over. Hoagues? Uh, Mark Brackey. Uh, and he called us over and he, and he said, oh, you two guys, thanks very much. You're great at the press conference. We really appreciate you coming and helping us out. And, and by the way, Andrew, I want you to be the captain of our Australian team and you'll be our flag bearer. And he said it in a way, it's like, I want you to be in our team. But it, to me, in my head, I thought, but there's going to be a polite but. But on the basis <laughs> of this. So you're sort of there and it hits you like a... And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, but what's the bad, you know, what's the... But there was no but. And he was there, and I know he was there, and and, and it, it was like, oh, okay, so you, so I'm going to be the captain, and I'll be the, yeah, 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 and, and he carried on, and he spoke a quick, but I really can't remember huh. what he's, because your mind's just racing. And I remember, though, at the end of it, he said, now, listen, this is going to be an announcement in two days' time. There's going to be a function, and John Howard, the Prime Minister of the country, he's going to come and announce it, so you can't tell anyone. Don't tell you. And Mark was there, and he said, you too, Mark. You, 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 don't tell your teammates. Don't tell anyone because this has to be a secret for this announcement. So we're like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then so he turns and walks away. We're sort of waiting there, and we're looking, he's, oh, looking at the hose, and I reckon he might have been 15 to 20 minutes Meters away, Hoagie's on the blower, I'm on the blower, <laughs> and we're calling up. So I call up straight away, I call up my wife, and I get there, and I'm still got this adrenaline running through me. Linda, what's going? You're not going to believe this. And just the emotion come over me, and I am crying like a two year old. Really? Like, I can't get it out. Now she's panicking. She thinks, He's stuffed his knee. He's, he's, he's done his knee. What the hell? Something's like I can't literally speak to get the words out to let her know that I've been given this unbelievable honour of being the captain. So I'm, I'm trying, and eventually, I, I, I'm a blubbering mess. But I eventually tell her, and she's super excited. Hoagie, uh, Mark Bragg, he's, he's called up Nicole, his wife, and and you know we're both incredibly emotional about it. And we shared it with them. But we've got to hold this secret in. So we go a day. The next day we're keeping it in and only he and I know. And it was honestly felt like I was cheating on my wife. You know, you, you, you're really cheating because these are your teammates. You've you, you got to be a. And we played a practice game against Lithuania the night before it was about to be announced. None of them know. We're playing this game and fortunately we were winning. There's four or five minutes to go. Hoagie and I are on the floor. So... Eventually, during the game, it's weighing on me. So I go up to Hoax. There's a free throws, and I go to Hoax. I said, Hoax, <laughs> I don't care if this costs me. I'm telling the fellas after the game. <laughs> He's like, oh, you sure? You sure? He goes, okay, okay, we'll do it, we'll do it. So because I just couldn't carry that burden. I felt like it was a burden. And um, so we, after the game, we were in the locker room, and there's sometimes a bit of media, riffraff, I make sure we clear all them, just our team, our immediate team in there. So, again, I'm there and I explained to him. I said, fellas, there's a lot of speculation. And, again, I'm an emotional mess. And I eventually share with my teammates that, hey, boys, I'm just giving you the heads up. Yeah. I've been given the honour to be the flag bearer and the <coughs> captain of their team. And I eventually got it out there. And it's one thing to get that honour and what it means to you, but – one of the greatest feelings was the reaction of my teammates, the joy, the emotion, the excitement, all those things that were shared in that locker room huh. are moments that you can't replicate. They are unique experiences where you say, this is the beauty of a team sport, where you get there and you get to have these experiences where you can embrace someone else's successes. You can feel like you're contributing to that success. All those things that come along with being a team sport were highlighted in this particular moment. And the joy that it brought them 
was just as joyful as hearing it firsthand of the honour that I was going to get. So it was a, 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 a pivotal moment for me and one that, that I just pinch myself these days to think, well, did that really happen? And the ironic thing is, when I lived in Sydney, I got an apartment in Newington. Is yeah. And the actual spot, there's slides and there's a little doggy part, the actual spot where John Coates told me where I drive by to go home every night and when my family come up, there it is. You pointed out to Mace, me. Mace, there it is. <laughs> that's where it happened and that's <laughs> where that big moment was awarded to me right in that spot. So it was um, incredibly grateful, unbelievable privilege and just a, a, an honour to, to have been a, a part of it and share that experience. Not only did you get to carry the flag, which is a rare, rare honour, but to carry it in front of your home crowd. Now, there's so few people get to do that. Well, this is a story. This is the thing. This is another story I've told a million times, but I'm happy to uh, uh, say it again because it's the truth. We're there. They give you bugger all instructions about what you need to do. Right. To ca- you, you, I remember. Well, don't you just have to wait? Nothing the flag? really was said to me. And then we go there, we, we assemble underneath, and we're the last team out. So they let the last nation in alphabetical uh, of order. Of course, yeah. Then they give you a big spell. So John Coach marches as well. The, the only instructions that they, they give you this harness to put around your. The, oh, to the, hold the flag. To hold the flag. Not required, my friend. <laughs> Not required. Because you've got this element in you, the adrenaline's pumping. I mean, wouldn't have mattered. So we're there, and um, eventually he said, Andrew, two things. You go out there and enjoy this experience. Good advice. And secondly, it is customary that when you pass the presidential box, it's customary for the flag bearer just to dip the flag to one of the box. Bit of respect. A bit of respect. All right. Okay. So you can imagine there, have fun, dip the flag. Walk out in front carrying the flag and where we are, the angle that come out, it was like a a wave of noise. The hysteria when you come out and the roar of the crowd when you come out there is something that you cannot articulate. Huh. You, you can't put in words. It's just you, you, 120,000 people and you're being acknowledged in this way. Now, they're not well, specifically for me, but it's about what we represent and it's the home nation. And just being out there and seeing it all, just waving that, the, the pride that you have, you can't describe, and waving that flag and hearing the roar, you are absolutely literally walking on air. Huh. And you can't feel your insides. You have this feeling that I had then. I've never had it since. Never will have it, I dare say. It's this feeling in you that is so rare that you, it's only because of the occasion. And you're there and you're walking around and, and might have walked, I, I reckon it was about 100 metres down the track. And I look around and I, I reckon I'm 30 metres in front of the rest oh, you're of You're out the, to a flyer. I'm out and I, and I thought, well, hang on a minute. This a bit of look at me, look at me. <laughs> oh, I just might need to just ease, just, up, just ease this puppy up a little bit. Just to sort, sort of bring it in a little bit. So you're there but you're still exciting and you see the, the joy of it all and uh, waving it around and just the excitement. So then you get... Another 100 metres of about a 350-metre walk around there and then the, sort of that initial euphoria, the excitement, just starts to taper. Not a lot, but ever so slightly. Two things. Have fun. Tick. Acknowledge the president's box. <laughs> All the royalty. So I'm thinking, hang on, I've got to, I've got to dip this sucker. So <laughs> I look up and I cannot see... One thing that resembles <laughs> the president's box. So I'm looking around and I'm like, have I missed it? What the? So if you get the if you get the um the vision, yeah. you will see a period around that that sort of the the, the the curve when you're coming around. Back straight. The back straight, I think it is. Uh, where I am randomly <laughs> dipping the flag. <laughs> Just to everyone. I'm dipping it. (laughs) I'm dipping it and hoping like hell (laughs) that somewhere as I walk here, 
I've ticked the second box. <laughs> now, I don't know whether I did. There was no repercussions. There was no cause of foul play or being disrespectful. So maybe I did. But it was just that that moment that you're there and you're sharing that experience, introducing some of the greatest athletes this country can produce to mm. the rest of the world, yeah. the seeing your friends. And one of the great pieces of vision I have that um, brings a tear to my eye every time, you know, you just see something with your family, you go back, it means nothing to anyone else, mm. is that um, it was 2000, my oldest daughter was six, um, my youngest daughter was four, and because I was the flag bearer, they had opening ceremony tickets, but they brought them up the front row of the second tier. And my wife had the um, the video camera. The camcorder. The camcorder. So she's there, and to see my kids screaming for their dad in the background with me with the flag, priceless. Beautiful stuff. Now, it means nothing to anyone else, but when you're being born into this environment, you learn about the Olympics at a very early age, this incredible experience, and make no mistake about it, I completely understood this honour was given to me, but if it was not for my dad, I would not have had that honour. It was only, I think, because of that long history of Olympics and competing that he also helped uh, contribute to that I think that I was the beneficiary of that. What did it mean to him? But... But, well, it's very, very special to him as well because, you know, this is his son mm. uh, being honoured in this way. This is what I've been ex- trying to educate him on. For all those years, this is the education through my actions, through my speeches, through my encouragement, through the hardships that we spoke about mm. earlier, all those things that you've had to experience, and this is the culmination of that, uh, which there's going to be plenty more, but this was a pivotal moment to say, well, this is what... I wanted my son to be involved in. This is what how I wanted him, the values that I tried to educate him in is being acknowledged in this material way. So those things made it just that much more special um, to be involved in it and your family and all those things that, that go along with it don't mean anything to anyone else, but they are very, very significant to your own journey. More of Gazy in a moment. The Howie Games has a pretty solid back catalogue of episodes to listen to these days, so please check them out, including our last episode featuring Joe and Renee Ingalls. What's it like? So I was having a look. You play 82 regular games a season, which the last few years you've played every single game. Yeah. What What's the... NBA life like like we turn on ESPN and you know there's LeBron and uh, and, and these guys yeah. in private jets and we're seeing highlights of yeah. massive crowds what's, I think it's what's it like day to day not putting like it's a good obviously it's a good lifestyle you, you get paid very well yes. we get to play like we don't wait in the Virgin Lounge to catch our flight we're on our team plane and we're gone team plane um, yeah like a chartered flight Every game. I had the same. When he told me and when we first went there, I, that's what, all the stuff that I was interested in, the shining bright lights. Yes. I was like, oh, this is ridiculous. And I, I remember having conversations with him like, don't you think just because you go on private jets now that you don't have to help me with the washing at home, you know? Like- <laughs> or like, don't like, yeah, it's just a, it is, it's, a, it's a lot, I don't want to make this sound like, bad but it's a lot less glamorous than what it looks like from the outside it always is yeah Yeah. and especially with that stuff like you say like private jets and getting their jerseys and all of those washed for them and their bags getting taken we just carry our toiletries on the plane basically it all sounds yeah so luxurious but then joe getting home at three o'clock in the morning and playing again that night or going from state to state and having to play back-to-back games and 82 games a year plus playoffs there is no other way they could do it. Like, okay. quite, and we learnt that pretty quickly. Um, it's not the glitz and glamour um, that it can be made out to be. That's Joe and Renee on the last episode of the show. If you could, if you've got someone that doesn't know about podcasts that you think might like this show, tap them on the shoulder, explain to them how to download a podcast, and hopefully they start to enjoy the Howie Games as well. Alrighty, back to Gazy. We we haven't even touched on the success of the Melbourne Tigers, the Sydney Kings. Yes. Bagot comes back. You're the coach of the Kings. Yep. The league has gone, and I've got a few mates that work heavily involved in production, yep. and 
So I would watch for certain things and the league's going absolutely gangbusters. It's flying. It is. And I would watch the Kings play to watch Andrew play. Yeah. Um, and I quickly became, what would I say? I quickly became, <laughs> I fell in love with you as a coach. Right. Because one, your press conferences were entertaining, but two, you had your heart on your sleeve, which I love, and you showed yeah. the passion and the emotion. Obviously, you took them to finals. It's been a long time since they'd been there, Gazy. You pulled up stumps a year, a year short. Uh, oh, no, no, I oh, did my time. Oh, I so you did your time. Yes, with, with with the Sydney Kings. Is it hard to be a coach of a major sporting franchise? And don't deflect this. Mm. When you're such a good bloke, when you're such a warm, generous, open, friendly, <laughs> trusting person. Well, well, I don't think so. Um, because you are what you are and you try to be something different to what either other people think is the, the, the way in mm. which a, a particular role should be um, behaved or uh, you, you, have, you, you, you try to make up things just because for your own personal gain. Now, that's never been an issue with me. I've always, again, through parental influence, I think, is you are what you are. You, as long as you're honest... You do things with integrity. Uh, don't get caught up in how others will judge because you can't keep uh, you can't satisfy everyone. My biggest concern throughout that though was was you being yourself being to the detriment of the team. Was it? And that was the question you you always had to to, to ask to say. Well, if I have to change, well, okay, I'll change. It, but provided. There's a, a solid explanation for that. Um, now, my personal belief is, and, and obviously I'm very biased, is that no, it's not. I think if you try to be something else, you, you get found out really, really quickly, and I think that that can be worse. But for me, everyone used to say, gee, you know, like you've referred to, you wear your heart on your sleeve. To me, I, I'm just coaching. I didn't – it wasn't like – it was staged. Or it wasn't like I was doing this to get that response. It's just, well, this is what this is how I. But but that's you, and that's why it was so engaging to watch. Well, well I, I mean, I'm glad to hear that. That's nice. But but my first priority is to the team. Yep. And making sure that we put together a a a, a program, a culture, and all the elements that go with it that provides them with the best opportunity for success. Uh, now, I personally believe we did. I know that not every player would think that. That, But that's – you'd probably hear the same from Greg Popovich. Yep. You'd probably hear the same from Alistair Clarkson. You know, whoever it is when you're involved, it, it's – there are some that, that, that for whatever reason uh, don't uh, believe the system that you're putting in place is best for them, which is fair enough. Because that is probably true. But it's May best not for be the best team. For, but you're trying to find the scenario which is best for the team. Um, and you, you try to do it in a way that that ultimately, to me, the most important thing is not necessarily to be liked, but to be respected. And if your actions are, are, are leading to a situation where that becomes in doubt, then it's not appropriate. Now, I don't believe it ever got to that stage. Um, I'm sure you can find players that played for me that say, well, wasn't my cup, you know, this system that he was trying to build, this culture, there's certain things that um, that I'd do differently, but no one's right or wrong. Mm. They are not wrong. They're having that belief. Did it weigh on you? Did the job weigh on you or not? It weighed on me because of the obligation I felt I had to the players. I know how fleeting it is. And even I played until I was 40. Yeah. But I know how fleeting it is. And I understand that this is, for many of them, it's their bread and butter. It's It goes on to achieving goals or at certain stages of their careers. All those things I had a strong sense of responsibility for. And you wanted them to have a, a great experience. Now, as I said, most of the times it's related to just the wins and losses. Clearly, it's easier to have a good experience when you're winning. But, again, that's not the absolute sole determining determination of that. So I always tried to um, make sure that we kept things in perspective. Understand that this should not be the most important thing in your life. If it is, you need to find balance. 
You've always got to find that balance. Now, you've got to demand extremely high standards and an unbelievable commitment to yourself and your teammates. And if ever that was compromised, we need to hold people accountable and say, no, you can't do that. But you still need to have perspective and balance. And sometimes trying to find the way in which you can educate players for that or or put in place a, a an environment where it is fulfilling that, that's the challenge. That's the art of it. A lot of people can go in there and have a a, a theory on the X's and O's, mm. and, and and they're not wrong. Things will work, uh, but trying to find the right X's and O's for the individuals to exploit their skills and to exploit all their skills, having people have to sacrifice. You need a talented team where some people have to sacrifice. That's not easy. You've got to you've got to be able to um, uh, coach that as well as you do the system. So uh, that was the challenge. I'm sure some players will say, "Well, we didn't we didn't necessarily feel that, that was achieved or whatever." But I hope, I hope, and I believe that that, that, that there is a level of respect and um, understanding of the the commitment that we made and the efforts that we made to try and achieve that. Only a couple more questions for you, Gazy. Due to a friendly arrangement between you <laughs> and the owner of a certain Italian restaurant in Fitzroy Street. Oh, hello. It's no longer there, my No. Friend. Is it no longer there because there was an arrangement where you'd just pay a sum it was. and could have anything on the menu? Well, because you abused that so much, this no, particular restaurant is no longer operating? No, no. I didn't because I was a married man with kids. Right. But there was other people that would frequent the place <laughs> right. that weren't married, that didn't have those types of obligations, right. that may have abused the privileges that they would provide. I went to that joint five nights a week. Fitzroy Street, La Paqueta. Yes, five and nights a week I was there. You were there regularly. With and a good fact, mate of mine, Bergie. They, they did a sensational job. But I like the fact that they would just encourage us to reward them as we saw fit. Yes, that is whatever you want. That is a tremendous arrangement. Sadly, it didn't work out financially for them. <laughs> a, a, um, it wasn't great, was it? I want to play you a couple of bits of audio here, yes. great man. Yes, Um And ask you a question off the back of this. Yes. This first one <laughs> is um, from the Channel 10 News from yesteryear. Oh, the first dear. voice you'll hear is Stephen Quartermain. Right. Today. Despite carrying an injury, Andrew Gaze will be there and he's back with his weekly tips. G'day quarters, the NBL is back and most importantly, I'm back. Oh, I see you've been trying to write me off and retire me with a bad knee, but we'll have none of that because the Melbourne Tigers are in for a cracker of a season. We've got the big local derby on Saturday night when we take on the Victoria Titans, but the NBL kicks off tonight in... So you were... <laughs> that you were on... Yeah. Hoida with Eric Barner I was. that I saw some of yes. on YouTube. Now, you actually played in the States. You played for the Washington Bullets in the NBA. What was your nickname over there? Short ass or what? <laughs> <laughs> Which is quite, quite a touchy one, all right? Uh, I don't want to cause any trouble. I don't want to cause a rift in the family, but like, you're 201 centimetres, right? Your father is not that tall. Now, do you reckon that when the circus came into town, your mum hooked up with the guy on the stilts or what? <laughs> You're on the comedy company. Yes. You were and still are a massive part of the Australian fabric. I don't think that's well, too far to say that. That's like, a stretch. But, so, but looking back, yes. you were everywhere. <laughs> how did you and how have you always remained so grounded? How have you not become above yourself and above the people? It's, it's my yeah. it's the thing I love about you. Well, I think deep down... And, and I played that because yep. you were on the news every week. I was like, oh, you gaze these basketball tips. Or yeah. then comedy company, or yeah. they're this, or there, or on the basketball itself. Yeah. You, you were everywhere without being in your face. Well, I, I had a strong sense of obligation to the game, and that, again, was still in, into me by my dad. I can still remember as a 12 or 13-year-old, and each um, Australia Day... The big event was the Seaside Carnival down at Warrnambool, where Oops. all the teams had come yep. down there. And it was over the uh, over the weekend, and I can still remember on a number of occasions, my dad, we'd drive all the way down there, and on a Sunday, my dad would get in the car and come back So because he had a, a two-minute or three-minute appearance on World of Sport on the Sunday show. Did he? Yeah, with Ron Casey, always he's good mates with Ron Casey. So he'd always, and, and we'd be saying... <laughs> 
who watches, and no one gives a rat's toss bag about <laughs> basketball anyway, but he had this sense of obligation to grow the game, to build the game. And, and, and seeing that as a young, at a, at a young age, uh, that was something that also I felt too that I had a strong uh, obligation. If someone asked and it meant promoting the sport, I didn't want to let my dad down. I didn't want to let him down and say, well, that's too hard, I can't be buggered. Just do it, do it with good grace, and most importantly, have fun with it. If you've got to do it, just try and <laughs> just have fun with it and don't take it too seriously. So that's the other thing. And secondly, and, and again, this is not me being trying to be humble or, or anything um, like that. I honestly know my limitations. I have received way more accolades and recognition that I deserve. You think? I, I, absolutely. And, and maybe it's because I do those other things. I, I was prepared to put myself out there and do those, the, those things. And um, I understood how fragile it was for me because um, I always felt that I'm not sure how, 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 you know, these statistical things that are happening, these performances, they're, they're going to find me out sooner or later. You know, not great defensively, very limited athletically, but played and relied heavily on my teammates and was fortunately, fortunate to be in structures. System helped me as much as uh, the way in which the games just played on natural ability. So knowing that, you, you very quickly understand and say, mate, you start putting tickets on yourself, you're going to come undone because you're not that good. So, so when you have that... Um, that attitude, one, it makes you work your ass off because you're understanding that you don't want to be figured out to be a fraud here. Every single time, because of all this stuff, hmm. when there's 15,000 people coming to the game, this might be only their one or two times they come to a basketball game. And a lot of the times, because of the profile and the marketing, that that I was very much front and centre that, the pressure and the expectation say, this one or two times, if you don't do well right now, uh, what's all the what's all the hype about? What are you doing? You know, all those types of things. And you didn't get it. You don't, didn't always play well, but there was all whether you're playing on a Wednesday night in the Big V competition or on a in front of fifteen thousand against the, the Magic or whatever. I always had a strong sense to say, I want these people to get in their car and say, what an amazing experience! What? How about that gaze fella? How did that, that was incredible? Always felt like. I I may not get that chance again. So uh, a combination of those things is you become pragmatic. Mate, it's not about being humble. It's being about realistic. This is – I understand my limitations and and do the best to work within them. That's a fantastic answer. I've got two more questions for you. One – we are blessed in all our listeners to have a lot of families listen with their kids on the way to yes. basketball training or swimming or yes. footy or tennis or whatever, and we are blessed to have those people listening. To 20 the, million of them, by the yeah, way. Yeah, well, there's not 20 million kids. You don't have to yeah, be 20 humble. million down. So you don't have to be humble. Well, no, we, we you do. You can just reel out 20 million. You know, there's a bloke in the US last year had 1.5 billion downloads of his show. Blah. Yeah, 1.5 billion. Oh, jeez. Yeah, the Howie Games are very small fish. Come on, Howie Games. Yeah, I know. Lift. Um, for all the kids out there that are listening, that are mm. striving, that are enjoying their sport, and you could answer this a million ways, but try and distill it through your life's experiences, mm-hmm. what would you say to those kids as far as their sport goes? I would say the most important thing, and I think I can only reflect, reflect back on, on my own experiences, uh, Try and be as diverse as you possibly can. Now, that's hard in this day and age. If you're a great footballer and you're identified at 9, 10, 11, they go, well, here is someone. Look at these innate skills. Let's cultivate it. Let's get him on a regimented program. Let's practice, mm. practice, practice, all those things, which is great. And that's how a lot of people are, are coming through. However, my experiences was, and everyone thinks of my basketball experience, which was ridiculous because of the environment that I grew up in with a nine-court basketball stadium. But I also used to play a bit of badminton. I used to go down to the table tennis and play some table tennis, <laughs> jump on the squash court every now and again just for fun with my mates. Oh, let's go over here. Go at the back and, and, and have a kick of the footy. Right the whole of the Albert Park golf course was at this little par three and jump on the par three and we'll whack a few. Now, I got to experience all those different things. Yes, the vast majority of my time was devoted to basketball, but playing all that other stuff, 
I think, rounds you and helps you develop those skills in, in your chosen sport. And it's one thing to have the skill to go out there and, and, and just be born with this athleticism, but ultimately you need to love the game and you've got to find a love for the game because if you don't uh, dedicate the time to it, those dreams that you have are important but they are unrealistic if you put in if you don't put in the work and and that's some people have this enormous talent and they think they're working hard they think that doing two or three sessions a week is is good enough maybe for an elite few but the overwhelming majority of them it's he who works hardest usually wins and it's the uh, these days we live in this sports science world where they monitor loads they monitor all those things we didn't have – I dare say if people back in nowadays with the stuff that I was doing back then, they'd be going, well, that's, you're stupid. That's, it's too much. It's too much. But, but there was a, a love and a desire and just enjoyed the competitive nature of it all. And my advice to parents, because being the last few years a coach, yes, my advice to parents that might be in the car – is to say, be really, really good taxi drivers, Uber drivers. <laughs> That's what you should be. You take your kid to, to, to the game and most of the time you don't have to be there to watch them. You figure out the coach. You figure out the program. Then put your faith in them. And if something's untowards going on, you, you'll, you'll, you know, by untoward I mean playing time, not mm. something ridiculous, uh, then you'll make your judgments a- as you go. But the um, I've yet to know a coach, whether it's the under-12s or the under-10s or the NBL or the NBA, that purposely doesn't play someone that's good enough to play, <laughs> yeah. that says, okay. I'm, I'm screwing this kid just because I want to screw this kid. Yo. I'm not playing him because... Uh, because I don't like him or because yeah. they all want to win. The coaches, believe it or not, even the under-10s, they want to win. Mm. Now, there are different priorities, of course, and at a certain age, of course, some kids are going to uh, – everyone's got to go, get a go when you're under-10s, of course. But very, very quickly, under-14s, there comes a point in time where you're saying, if you want more playing time, don't blame your coach, don't blame the administration – don't blame the ref. Look at yourself and say, am I working hard enough? Is this other, is, is my teammate better? Do I have to get better than my teammate or should I be gifted this opportunity? Mm. Just give me enough. You, 99 times out of 100, you will get that opportunity if you're good enough. If you are that good, your coach will play you. So eliminate the excuse factor. Eliminate that you're getting screwed. Uh, all those other things, preferably don't listen too much to your parents. Listen to your coach. Prioritise those things. And then you have a better chance of um, keeping the pathway uh, where you're not being interfered with, where you might be getting conflicting information. Does that make sense? That is an outstanding answer. You have one more question to answer. I ask that question of all my guests, and that is one of the best right. best answers. You now get my daughter. Right. Name Sky. Yes. Nickname. Yes. The Pickle. The Pickle. The Pickle. So we've got... The Big Penguin. The Big Penguin and the Pickle. And the Pickle. What is going on We're like in it. the Howie house? And we've got Ebon, which is Mrs. Howie. Is the it's E-bomb. very, very cute. Um, all right. Uh, she said, okay, tell me a bit about this bloke. And yep. I said, believe it or not, as has been proven in the last hour and 46 minutes, that he is a very funny man. No, no, well. That is what I told her. <laughs> right. To point, she came with yeah. this. Are you ready? Yes. Hi, Gacy Pickle here. My dad thinks he's super funny. <laughs> yes. And he told this joke uh, the other day. Did you hear about the guy who invented fairy bread? It was really sad. He died. But at his funeral, there were hundreds and thousands there. <laughs> My dad thinks 
Oh, now that's oh a crush button. That, hundreds of thousands of one got nothing at the dinner table. Well, oh, oh, that is that is brilliant. Yeah, that one. is a touch of brilliance. You can go with that one. Um, so the pickle wants a joke from you. Well, I can't remember that dad joke. I actually, someone else asked me about this dad joke a, a, a while ago. I think it was back when I was in the Kings. I was doing one of those things. Oh yeah, and um, um, I, and unfortunately, I can't remember the exact. Words. I'll try and come on. So it's like, um, did you hear the joke about the paper? No, I didn't. No, no, you don't want to hear it. It's terrible. <laughs> terrible. Get it? Paper. Jeez. Oh, Tear, as in terrible. Tear. Play I, on. I got it. You got it. Okay. I got it. Now that I just didn't find it that crisp. You've been no. so funny for this no. whole time. No, it's not crisp. But that's the that's the that's the gag. That is the gag. You know that is the gag. Try if you're going to come with a dad joke. If you try to be legitimately. What about the fairy bread? No, this that's brilliant. Hundreds of thousands funeral. No, that that is that is outstanding. But there, there, there's always a. Oh, there was another one. Is um. What do you call a Mexican who has lost his car? Car loss. <laughs> <laughs> See, now that's sharper. Yeah, Is that, that sharper? That's, yeah, that's good. They're all I coming. quite like that. They're, they're no, I quite like that. There's, a, um, there's all those dad jokes. That, Gazy, that, uh, yes. um, I'm disappointed that your people took lo- so long for this I to happen. I don't have people. <laughs> we need to clarify that. There's no listeners out there. Here, no people. <laughs> no people, people, not here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, what's it been like reflecting? I love it. I enjoy it. I, it's it's a um, it's an interesting topic. I, I dare say that I may not contribute too significantly to your audience. No, you will. You will. It's um, a long. It's going to take a hell of an editor to sort no, of tidy this up. Very little editing, and I'm now going to show you how to listen to a podcast. Hey, thanks right. for coming on the Howie Games. You're a star. Um, hopefully, McAvaney never listens well, to this episode. That's the, only, the only thing I congratulate you because if you had asked me <laughs> in August of 2004, 2004. <laughs> what the future lies. <laughs> what would you have said? Mom, I would have said, ooh, geez, I, I hope he's got his degree in order. Because <laughs> <laughs> when the big dog, not the big, let me say that again. When the biggest of big dogs shows a little agitation, <laughs> I dare say the red pencil was out, yes. the red texture, yeah. and it was about to get the big don't come Monday. It but was. you've powered through and uh, and without sort of being in the neutral oh. admiration club. <laughs> I do uh, respect what you've done. You do a terrific job with Thank the core in the footy Thank and the you. cricket. Your Thank versatility is there. McAvaney has taught you well. Yes, he has. And you're doing a great job. So keep up the good work. Gazy, one of the great men, had me in stitches. Thanks to Drewy for being Drewy. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Thanks to Darcy Thompson for steering the Howie game ship and for making it sound smick. Sam and Elise Willoughby coming up on Thursday, September 12. Until then, thanks for listening. Peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. Listener.